1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hello,
2: welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out He'll be back on Monday, so we'll wrap up the week today and tomorrow here with Nick Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson will be back on Monday. Uh, it'll be great to have him back because, uh, I don't know, I get kind of sad and lonely here. Although, I mean, I listen, I love doing it, but, but uh, yeah, I don't know. So, anyways, on this edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, another packed show coming up today here throughout the, the show today from 3 to 6, as always, here on KLWN uh we'll get into a little bit of what happened last night in the big 12 on the basketball side it was another crazy night in the big 12 so just craziness continues to happen every night it seems like in the big 12 uh, talk a little bit about that later up later on in the three o'clock hour also a little preliminary nfl divisional playoff talk get to that in the four in the later on in the three o'clock hour in the four o'clock hour it's a double guest hour two guests in the four o'clock hour kevin flaherty of 24-7 Sports will join the show at 4 5 Couldn't get him on on Tuesday, so we'll bring him on today at four oh five. 0 all things Kansas and the Big 12. And then at four forty, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join the show as well. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KU heroes and villains from the Kansas-Oklahoma State game. And also have a chance to hear from the KU players, Hunter Dickinson and Johnny Furphy, as they met with the media post-game after the big win against Oklahoma State. We'll get to that later on in the 5 o'clock hour as well off the top here though we've had this conversation a couple times in the past and i want to dive a little bit deeper into it here to start the show today with this this question it is a simple question and yet a complex question how many wins will a big 12 winner have this season 2024-25 20, season or i guess 2023-24 20, season got ahead of myself 23-24 season how many wins will it take? How many wins do you need to win the Big 12 in basketball? So did a little uh, did a little backtracking here over the last 10 years, going back to the 2013-14 season. Over the last 10 seasons here, because we always have this conversation. Last year I think the conversation was, well, the Big 12 is so tough, maybe you can do it with 12 or 13 wins. But how many wins really is it going to take? Over the last decade, ten over the last 10 Big 12 regular season champions. The fewest number of wins any of them have had was 13. Kansas won it last year with 13. They went 13 and 5. In 2021-22, Kansas and Baylor both went 14 and 4. In 2020-21, the COVID year, Baylor had was 13 and 1, but they had some games canceled. Kansas went 12 and 6 uh, in conference that year. In 2019-20, Kansas was dominant. They went 17 and 1. In 2018-19, Kansas State and Texas Tech both went 14 and 4. In 2017-18, Kansas went 13 and five. In 16, 17, Kansas went 16 and two. In 15, 16, Kansas won 15 and three. In 14, 15, Kansas went 13 and five, and in 13 14, Kansas went 14 and four. So of those last 10 regular season champions for, in the big 12, three of them had 13, went 13 and five. So basically, if you go 13 and five, you have a decent chance, possibly, historically speaking. If you're 14 and 4 or better, you're probably going to win the conference, guaranteed. If you're 13 and 5, you have a good chance to win it as well. You're probably but you're probably guaranteed to win it at 13 or 14. So it seems like that 13 win number or 14 win number could be sort of the uh, the magic number here. But there is another factor to account for here this season in the Big 12 and that is that there's inbound schedules. Not everybody plays everybody twice. You don't get home and homes with every team. So if a team gets you on the road in previous years, you could say, well, we'll get them back at home. That's not necessarily the case this season. And, in fact, Kansas, uh, they just went on the road against Oklahoma State and won. Oklahoma State does not uh, – they do come back to Lawrence, I believe, later on in the season. But UCF does not come to Lawrence. So you go to UCF, you lose against a, one of the lower teams in the conference, and you, you're not, you're not going to get that back if you're Kansas at home at least, right? So there are plenty of examples of that imbalanced schedule coming into play here that could alter potentially what number you might need to win the Big 12. It's, it's kind of hard to say, though. It's kind of hard to say. So continuing in that line of thought, so that was obviously all, all of the Big 12 champions, all of, all of the teams over the last decades that, what their records were when they won the Big 12. But if you view it as, if you look at that question and say, well, what about the second place team? Meaning the minimum to possibly win a share. You see a lot more 12 and sixes. You see a lot more 11 and sevens. So if the Big 12 ends up truly kind of really totally cannibalizing itself, you could say, okay, maybe if we get to 12 wins, we can get ourselves a share at least, which would have been the case last season for Kansas uh, with, it, with their 13 and 5 win. Texas was 12 and 6 last year. In 202122, Tech, Texas Tech was 12 and six, behind Baylor and, and KU who were 14 and four. 2020, 2021 was weird because of COVID, so I don't even really want to dive into that one. In 2019-20, Baylor uh, was 15 and three, behind Kansas who was 17 and one. But that was, an also, that was an interesting year because you had Kansas at 17 and one, Baylor was 15 and three. You had four teams after that tied at nine and nine. So talk about a lot of cannibalization that year. the year prior. With Kansas State and Texas Tech at 14 and 4, KU was 12 and 6. The year before that, in 1718, when Kansas won at 13 and 5, yet Texas Tech and West Virginia, both were next at 11 and 7, and so on and so forth. So you get you get the idea. If you get to 12 wins, you might have a shot, possibly, at at least sharing right in the Big 12. But again, this imbalanced schedule really does throw a wrench into things because. You may end up facing a tougher schedule than some other teams in the conference. For example, Kansas. Look at the home and homes that Kansas has this season. They go. They have Houston at home in February. They finish the season at Houston. They go at Kansas State in February. They finish the. They have their second last game is against Kansas State at home. They have a home and home also with Baylor. Baylor, Kansas State, and Houston right now are two of so Baylor and Kansas State are both at three and one. And Houston's sitting at 2-2, two two, but we assume Houston is going to be probably a team that's going to be contending for the Big 12 title. I don't think necessarily Kansas State is. And after what Texas Tech, what happened to Texas Tech against Houston, I'm not so sure. So when you really start to get into the nitty-gritty of it, of who really are, who really are the Big 12 title contenders? Well, in the preseason, before the season started, it was always Kansas and Houston. Baylor, I think, maybe enters into that discussion and Kansas State is interesting because of the fact that they have they did win a road game. They already have one road win. And they should have probably had two. They they had Texas Tech, probably should have won that game on the road in Lubbock, but they didn't. But when you look at Kansas State's schedule, they're sitting at 3 and 1. They do have they they have Oklahoma State coming up. Then they do have back-to-back games at Iowa State and at Houston that you would expect they would lose. But then Oklahoma and at Oklahoma State after that. Oklahoma at home, by the way. They get Kansas at home. You look at the home-and-home games that that K-State has. They have a home-and-home with BYU. So they have to go at BYU and then BYU at home. BYU is a puzzling one. It's a puzzling team, for sure, I think, right now. You have a home-and-home with Kansas, obviously, and Iowa State. But They don't get Houston at home. They only go to Houston, and they only go at Texas. So that's automatically, you know, you don't get some of those tougher teams at home. You have to go on the road, and you don't get to play them at home. I don't know. I don't know how legitimate Kansas State is. I mean, Baylor really gave away that game on the road against them in Manhattan, but we'll see. So basically, what is the likely number to possibly to win the Big 12 this year? Probably thirteen, probably thirteen. In fact, that's what uh, Ken Palm projects right now is thirteen. They they project Houston at 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 thirteen and five. Interestingly enough, they have Kansas at at, at eleven and seven. By the way, behind behind them. Uh, but of course, Ken Palm hates Kansas for some reason. So, probably thirteen. So then you go back to Kansas' schedule here. At West Virginia. Then you get Cincinnati at home. Then you're at Iowa State, and Iowa State is one of those games where you don't get Iowa State at home. So that game in Ames, I think, takes on extra importance. Then you have back-to-back home games with Oklahoma State and Houston before you go at Kansas State. And again, the the Kansas State game on the road, is it's tough because that's, that's K-State Super Bowl. It's one of the few home games they really ever care about every year. So it's obviously going to be tough going on the road there. Which, by the way, Jerome Tang, I think I think he's only lost two games in Manhattan, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but they, they have played a pretty soft schedule uh, since he's been there, in non-con especially. Then you go Baylor at home, and then you have a tough stretch in the middle of February at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma back-to-back. And you got Oklahoma at home. You don't get Texas Tech at home. So that game in Lubbock. So you look at the Texas Tech game and the Iowa State games, two games that maybe should pique your interest, I think, if you're Kansas, because you don't get those teams at home. Those are games you don't want to lose. Then Texas, BYU, and then that brutal stretch to finish the season in the first week of March, where you go at Baylor, Kansas State at home, at Houston. I mean, that is a that's a brutal three game stretch to end the season for Kansas, right? So looking at this Kansas schedule, you've already kind of given away one game against UCF. And if you think you need to win 13, you're sitting at three and one right now. Let's say you manage to go eight and one at home in conference play. So you already have two wins against TCU and Oklahoma. Let's say you take care of business against Cincinnati, Oklahoma State. Maybe you drop the game against Houston. That would put you at four and one at home. You take care of Baylor six and one or five and one. Texas six and one. Baylor seven and one. Kansas State eight and one. Let's say you go eight and one. Eight and one at home. That leaves you with not a significant margin of error, so you'd have two conference losses hypothetically at that point, with uh, including the loss to UCF. So that means between the games on the road against West Virginia coming up, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Houston, you could really only afford to a drop. You could really only afford to drop three of those, and I'm you know I don't know. I mean, eight and one at home that might be taking a little bit of a rosy view. I mean. Houston, Baylor, Texas seems to have fallen off, but Kansas State like those are those are gonna be some more difficult home games I think for sure maybe not though. but if you're eight and one, again between Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, Houston, Kansas State, Iowa State. So six of those home games you need to go basically three and three if you want to do a little bit of math to get yourself to 13 and five at that point. And and again, because of the fact that you don't get some of those teams back at home, that maybe increases the pressure to take care of business in those games. So it's a it's an interesting conversation, to say the least. And I think right now when you look at the the landscape of the Big Twelve, it's pretty clear you got Kansas and Houston are, are going to be teams that are competing for the Big Twelve title. And when you look at Houston's schedule, they have home-and-home home with Kansas, as as it's been outlined. But think about this. They also get a home-and-home home with UCF, one of the perceived to be weaker teams in the conference right now. Home-and-home home with Cincinnati, who I understand just beat TCU, but, okay, another one of the weaker teams considered in the conference. They do have to go out Texas, and they don't get Texas back at home. So... I think when you look at the schedule, Houston's definitely got the easier of it overall. And when you look at Baylor, their home-and-home games are Kansas, Texas. They They have a big one coming up at Texas this weekend after they just lost against Kansas State on the road. Kansas, Texas, and BYU, and TCU. So, again, Texas looking a little down. BYU, who knows? TCU, who knows? There's a lot of teams in the Big 12 that I think are sitting in that who-knows category. And I, and I kind of want to get into this more with Kevin Flaherty when we have him on the show coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I mean, I think Kansas State's in the who-knows category. Texas Tech is in the who-knows category. BYU, Oklahoma, Iowa State. Like, I don't know. There's all these teams. Like, you look at the conference right now, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas State are all 3-1. And what's the common denominator between those teams? They haven't given away a home game, and they've all won one road game. All they're all the same. All all four of those teams are two and zero at home and one and one on the on the road. And no other team in the conference can say that. And that's why they're that's why they're not in the same tier as Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech and Kansas State right now. And again, you look at it. You look at a, You look at Kansas State and Baylor for that matter both those teams probably have legitimate claims saying they should have won the game they played on the road. Baylor over Kansas State, Kansas State over Texas Tech. So I think my big takeaway is, and this is not necessarily groundbreaking analysis, but road wins are worth their weight in gold, I think, right now. And I don't think it matters the level of the opponent you're playing. If you went on the road, it's worth everything. Everything. At this at this stage, when you when you consider the landscape of the Big Twelve right now, even if it's against the worst team in the Big Twelve, like Kansas was against Oklahoma State, it, I don't think it matters. I, I don't think it matters who you beat on the road. Winning on the road in the Big Twelve is worth a lot. is very very significant. And Bill Self has always said that: just go five hundred on the road, take care of business at home. And if so, I mean, let's extrapolate that idea out even further, right? If you if you go five hundred on the road, so five and four, four and five. And you are able to go, you know, eight and one, or possibly even nine and oh at home. If you go nine and oh at home and four and five on the road, wow, quick math. Oh, that's 13 and five. Guess what? 13 and five is probably going to be good enough. But if you go eight and one at home, so basically every game you drop at home, you have to find a way to make that up on the road, essentially. So if you go eight and one and you can go five and four on the road, oh, there you go again 13 and five. And I think thirteen and five is is certainly good enough to win at least a share. And in many cases, it's good enough to win it outright. I e Kansas last year, Kansas in twenty seventeen or Kansas in twenty eighteen, Kansas in twenty fifteen. Thirteen and five is probably good enough. Now with Houston in the conference, we'll see. We'll see if thirteen and five is good enough for to win it outright because Houston may be a little better, but they're. But the the good news for Kansas is Houston is already sitting at two and two. They already lost on the road twice, against Iowa State and TCU. So if you're Houston, you kind of you really need to go nine and zero at home at this point. And look at the rest of TCU's or look at the rest of Houston's road games, at BYU, which at face value doesn't seem like it would be too terribly difficult, but you throw in the fact that you're going to Provo, Utah, up in the mountains. Against a, against a three-point shooting team in BYU, yeah, that that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, really. At Texas, eh? At at Kansas, okay. At Cincinnati, eh. But then at Baylor, at Oklahoma, and then at at UCF, which uh, you know, listen, you don't need to, you don't need to tell Houston about <laughs> going on the road against UCF. So again, I think the the question continues to be with Houston: is can they? Can they match the rigors of a big twelve schedule? I mean, for instance, you look at you look at the week next so not this not this weekend, but next weekend for or next week into next weekend for for Houston. Next Tuesday the twenty third, they are at BYU They then turn around on Saturday and have Kansas State at home. and then on that from that Saturday to Monday, they are at Texas. And then from that Monday to the next Saturday, they're at Kansas. So think about that. Maybe in the American, you go at, you you, you know, you played, like, a, I don't know, B, or UCF, whatever, BYU, you know, you play the equivalent of a top team in the American, but then you might get, like, Temple, followed by Eastern Carolina, followed by whoever, whatever, right? Well, instead, you get BYU followed by Kansas State at home and then at Texas and at Kansas. That will probably be a defining stretch for Houston. And it makes sense because it's going to be a similar stretch for Kansas in that first week of February, to really see the situation. And I, we had a guest on talking about this a while back, about when you look at the schedule for Kansas and the fact that, yes, they do have that tough stretch in the first week of February, February 3rd, Houston, February 5th, at K-State, February 10th, Baylor, that three-game stretch, followed by at Texas Tech on the 12th, and then at Oklahoma on the, geez, at Oklahoma on the 17th. When you think about that three, four, five-game stretch for Kansas in February, If Kansas can enter into that game against Houston on February 3rd with a one- or even two-game lead over Houston at that point, you probably feel pretty good, right? Especially if then you beat them in Lawrence in that game. And you already have a one-game lead right now, at three-and-one over Houston's two-and-two. So... That will be kind of the defining moment coming up here in two weeks, and then I, I think that's been the stretch of schedule that's been circled for a while for Kansas, probably, you know. But uh, but again, as I said, winning on the road is worth its weight in gold. It's difficult to win on the road. I don't care if you're playing Oklahoma State. I don't care if you're playing West Virginia. I don't care if you're playing whoever on the road. Those those road wins are worth everything. And Kansas has not historically had a ton of success in Morgantown, which we'll, we'll break down that game more on tomorrow's show, but. You you want to win those on the road, badly. If you do that, you're you're going to put yourself in a good position. And again, it seems like 13. If you get to 13 wins, you're probably getting a share, or is as history has shown, you might be that 13 might be able to get might be good enough to win it outright as well. Might be able might be good enough to win it outright as well. 14, I think, definitely is. So wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into the kind of the history of what that looks like and what what number you might need to get to in order to say okay, this is the number we need for the Big Twelve. And I and I highly, highly doubt that Bill Self is sitting in his office charting this and saying, well, we need to win this game. He's probably just he's probably just looking at the next game and saying, We just we need to win our next game, right? That's probably his mentality. And it's the right mentality to have. I don't think I think if you're sort of scoreboard watching slash you know, being like, well, historically it's taken this number of many of wins as a coach. That's not a recipe for success. So I doubt Kansas is doing that, but you know, that's what makes my job fun. I can do that. So get to 13. You're probably winning a share or outright, depending on how things play out. But certainly the big 12 is, uh, is fascinating this season. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that because once again, there were some interesting results last night in the big 12. So and then coming up later on in the 3 o'clock hour, a little bit of a preview of the NFL Divisional Playoff Round. Probably talk more about that on Friday as well on tomorrow's show. Uh, it's a double guest hour in the 4 o'clock hour. Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports is going to join the show at 4.05. And Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join the show at 4.40. That's coming up later on in the show. Also gets a KU... KU Basketball Heroes and Villains coming up at 5.05 and also some post-game audio from the Oklahoma State game from Hunter Dickinson and Johnny Furphy. All that and more here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. A little past 3.30 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out. So we're going to join a little bit of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on today's show. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports will join the show at 4.05. And voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join the show as well, coming up at 4.40 in the 4 o'clock hour. It was yet another crazy night in the Big 12. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Last night, uh, in K- in this case of Texas. Falling at home, then I, I just got done talking about the significance of winning on the road and in situations like that, uh, or winning at home against lesser opponents. Well, Texas did not do that. Texas did not do that at all. They dropped to 1-3 in the Big 12. Jalen Sellers goes off for UCF, 24 points in the game, 77-71 UCF wins uh, on the road in Austin. So UCF all of a sudden is sitting at 2-2 two and two in the conference uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's it's kind of tough to tell right now, this early in conference play, how things are going to shake out. But you know, maybe that UCF loss for Kansas ends up not looking as bad. Possibly, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Oklahoma takes care of business and pretty much dominates West Virginia in the second half, seventy-seven to sixty-three last night. And then uh, Houston absolutely blasts Texas Tech uh, at home. Jamal shed 29 points for Houston in that game. By the way, against uh, Texas Tech, so a big win for Houston. But the big one here, UCF defeating Texas on the road, and uh, for Texas, man, some of the fallout afterwards with uh, supposedly the uh, horns down situation, dude. Okay, I thought we were done with this horns down crap. I really thought we were right. It was kind of they made a big deal out of it, whatever, with the Oklahoma game and football, uh, Red River rivalry. I thought we were kind of over it. Like I thought Texas fans were were over it, but I guess not. Uh, or I guess in this case, Rodney Terry, the Texas coach, was not over it. As uh, he got mad about it, there was a so, what appeared to be a tense altercation uh, in the handshake line immediately following the game. Then Rodney Terry doubles down and makes some comments in the post game that is like, "Oh, it's classless. It's this. It's blah blah blah." So a couple thoughts. Number one. Just don't lose at home to a team you're better. You're supposed to be better than. And number two, like grow up a little bit, seriously. That, I'm saying that's what I'm saying. I thought we were done with this. Like I thought this was not a, a big deal anymore, but I guess evidently it must still be. You know, I remember uh, back when I was at Ku this this in the spring of 2019. Ku baseball played against Texas, and that year Texas just completely collapsed. It was one of the, it was a random year where Texas was just horrible in baseball. They came to Lawrence. They got swept. Everyone was giving Texas fans the horns down that had made the trip, and they were so mad. They were so mad that they got swept and that people were giving them the horns down. And it was actually awesome. Like I, I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And that, that's the thing. That's what I don't understand about Texas fans or Texas people in, the, in this horns down situation is that 99% of the reason why other people do the horn, like other fan bases, other you know, other people do the horns down is because they know that it that it really, really pisses off Texas fans. Like, if you didn't make such a big deal out of it and get so mad about it, I don't think people would, people would probably lose interest in doing it all the time, right? Or they wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be as maybe, I guess, notable as it is right now, right? Like, the reason, one of the main reasons why people do it so much to Texas fans, is because they know how much it angers them, and it's one of those things where it's like you just if you just don't react so strongly, it probably would just kind of eventually go away a little bit. But no, you had to go and complain, and then it had to become a. Uh, eventually, it was turned into a penalty, and oh man, it's just it's just it's it's kind of embarrassing. And I just wonder with Texas this season. Yeah, I, I think I kind of talked about this in the preseason a little bit with Texas. Is like. This is a prove-it year for them with Rodney Terry, right? I mean, he inherited a very, very talented roster last season. Now, I'm not saying Rodney Terry can't coach or that he's a bad coach, but he inherited a very, very talented roster last season with a lot of very experienced players and went to the Elite Eight, right? And I continue to believe that if Texas got bounced in the second round, or even in the, or maybe even the Sweet 16, they probably would not have hired Rodney Terry, or they wouldn't have hired him maybe as quickly as they did to be their full-time coach. But he gets them to the Elite Eight, and they're and I, I, it, I just from the outside perspective, you get the sense of it was like a the situation where it was like ah, okay, like we're you know not thrilled about this, but the guy just took us to the Elite Eight, so okay, I guess. Well, this is a prove-it year, and so far. Rodney Terry is proving all the wrong things. <laughs> he's proving that he's maybe not as good and that maybe the, he was carried a little bit by that roster last season. And there's no denying that this Texas roster this season still has a lot of talent. They still have Dylan DeSue. They still have Dylan uh, Mitchell. They still have Hunter. Max Aismas, I think, is definitely a quality player. But, uh, yeah, there's there's some serious questions, I think, to be asked and answered in Austin over the course of this season with uh, with Rodney Terry in what I would call a proving year, and I don't know that Texas was necessarily a team that people thought was going to compete for the Big 12 title this season, but I can assure you, I don't think a lot of people will expect them to start the start conference play one and three, and that's where having a good start in conference play becomes even more important because it just if you don't start well, you're already in the hole, and it's that becomes that much more difficult to dig yourself out of it, and uh, that's the concern that I have for for Texas right now. You know, you have a lot of teams at two and two, and if Texas had beaten UCF, they would be one of those two and two teams and you'd be feeling significantly better. It's only one game, but still, it just it just feels different. Just feels different. But instead, they go and they lose. Now from the Kansas perspective, they do not have to go to Austin. Texas at home and that's it. So bad for bad for Texas, good for Kansas. You get them you get them at home the season. so uh, That's a little bit of a look around the rest of the Big 12 with uh, UCF defeating Texas last night. You look at the Saturday slate for the Big 12. Obviously Kansas taking on West Virginia. Uh, Texas back at home against Baylor, which that is the game they must win against Baylor. Uh, other top 25 matchups, BYU is at Texas deck in Lubbock, and TCU it will be taking on Iowa State in Fort Worth. Uh, those will be a couple of matchups to keep an eye on: Baylor and Texas. It'll be a full slate of Big 12 basketball on Saturday. So, tons more breakdown coming up next week, including Kansas and West Virginia, which we'll break that down, previewing it more uh, on tomorrow's show here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. All right, we'll take a time out here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming NFL divisional playoff weekend, some of the big storylines, and that might talk a little bit more about, more about that on Friday as well. Touch on that a little bit, and in the four o'clock hour, it is a double guest hour. Kevin Flaherty will join at 4:05. Brian Haney will join at 440. We'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN.
0: Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports
2: Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Nick Chalk Sports Talk, as I'm Nick Springer here with you. Derek Johnson out. Uh, He'll be back on Monday. And uh, earlier in the week, we normally get to hear from Kevin Flaherty, but uh, he was dealing with a little bit of a sickness, so couldn't get him on. But very glad to have Kevin on here now. Uh, Kevin, before we get into KU basketball and and basketball talk, I did want to ask you about uh, KU football. You know, Last weekend on Sunday, there was uh, about an hour or so of Panic versus relief, panic relief with uh, Lance Leipold in Kansas and the seeming courting of uh, him by Washington. I guess, uh, what What do you think was the significance of Lance Leipold basically coming out and saying, you know what, I'm not going to, I don't want to go to Washington or I'm staying in Kansas? What, how important do you think that
3: was for this K football program? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, for multiple reasons. One being he's a really good football coach, and you want to retain him. I I think that's the 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 obvious part of it. But I I think two, the other part of it is is I think there's some general feeling around college football, and you know, you might get different answers depending on who you talk to. But that college football is almost going to like a power two conference type of thing, right? With the SEC and the Big Ten basically based on the amount of money that they're making. The ACC, you know, as we've seen and read at different parts, you know, Florida State is going to challenge them, and so that conference could be teetering a little bit. And so Washington heading to the Big Ten, uh, coming off the national championship game, you know, there were a lot of reasons to suggest, hey, this is, this is a place where you can win at a really high level. It's going to the Big Ten. You're going to have... You know, a lot of things working for you in terms of you know the finances that they're going to make from the media deal and all of those things, and Lance Leipold still said no. And I think when you look at the fact that Washington had so much to offer, I really think in addition to you know Leipold making that that choice, I think it also speaks a lot about what he and Travis Goff are, are kind of building in Lawrence when. You look at what they're doing with facilities and all the different things that that they're doing. The fact that they're trying to, you know, up the nil nil game and things of that nature. I think it says quite a bit that Kansas is in a much more stable place, not just as a football program but an athletic department than you know it was a, a couple of years or, or so ago. I mean, if if Lance Flypold in his first year at Kansas you know after that two win season if somebody had come out like washington and said you know what that texas win was good enough for us you know why why don't you come out here we're heading to the big 10 with all the things that washington can provide now I'm not sure that the Lance Leipold is able to, to kind of say no at that point. And so I do think that it's a testament to a lot of different people. And and also, quite frankly, you know, Kansas is, is set to maybe have a pretty good football team next year.
2: Yeah, and, and to your point on the idea of, of kind of that maybe power two concept or with Washington and whatnot going forward, what really stood out to me is the fact that Typically, in this era and this landscape of college athletics, if you are a coach and you have a chance to, you know, basically be seen as moving up, right, whether in prestige or financially or whatever, it, co- coaches around the country will always, it seems like, almost always say yes to that. And yet here's Lance Leipold basically saying, you know what, I like what I'm building here and I want to stick here. Uh, that that really stood out to me, right?
3: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I, I think that... When when you look at it, it's almost one of those things where you know they say you know adapt or die. You know, an inertia is dying. And so, how many times have we seen a coach, you know, and they're they're a big hot name and they get offers or are at least interest in different things. They decide to stay for whatever reason. It doesn't wind up working out for them, and their coaching star you know dies out pretty quickly. I'm not trying to to poke fun at anybody or anything with this, but you know, for how many years have we heard that Matt Campbell's been a candidate for every single job pretty much that 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 pops up? And it's become almost a punchline in, in a lot of the places that maybe, you know, two or three years ago, Matt Campbell is linked to where people said, Oh yeah, you know, he's this this hot coach at Iowa State. You know, that that's not necessarily an opportunity there anymore. And I'm not saying that Lance Leifold made the wrong decision or that his coaching star is going to dim or anything like that. I'm just saying, because of that, I think a lot of coaches are, are more willing to kind of jump in and try and take that leap forward when that chance arrives. And, you know, here was a chance that that Lance Leifold had to, to go to the big 10 to, to go to Washington, which just played for the national championship and, and, and certainly has all the tools in place to win there, and and he said no thanks. He's he's coming back to Kansas, and so you have to think that he sees a lot of potential to, to win and be very stable and all of those things here in Lawrence.
2: Yeah, needless to say, Kansas fans, I'm sure, are certainly happy about that as well. Uh, switching over to Kansas basketball now, four games into conference play, it felt like one of the still large questions that loomed around KU was the the five the fifth spot fifth starting spot in the lineup for Kansas. It feels like maybe that's been answered. Bill Self actually kind of said so much himself earlier in the day today uh, at, at a media availability with his press conference. I guess from Johnny for for Johnny Furphy stepping in the game against Oklahoma and then following that up with what he did against Oklahoma State. What maybe most impressed you about kind of him coming in and having so much success so quickly as that fifth starter?
3: Yeah. So is Johnny Furphy the greatest player of all time, or just one of the greatest players of all time? Well, I mean, know, people, people called him you know Franz are Wagner, asking. so. People are asking, but no, it's it's one of those things where I think it's easy to look at the Oklahoma State performance and say, man, when he's making shots at that rate, Kansas is just so dangerous, and and that's true, but I actually think, Nick, when you, when you look at it, it's more than that. It's the fact that he's been able to hustle and get offensive rebounds, the fact that Because he can spread the court, you know, teams can't pack it in as much. And so Kansas isn't turning the ball over as much the last couple games because, you know, when you run pick and roll, you're running pick and roll into what seems like about 32 guys camping out into the paint. And so I think. As, as important as his shooting is and, and will continue to be, and, and a lot of people will obviously track that part of it because that's the role that you want him to play, I think it's so important for that last starter to be able to provide value even when he isn't making shots. And, and I think that's something that... Murphy has done at certain times this year, you know, whether that's again, hustle on the glass, you know, defensively, I think he's actually done some pretty good things. You know, he, he's a guy that that has some basketball IQ to him and what he does. And, and he's been able to get out and run it and get them some good baskets and fast break opportunities too. When you think about March madness, one of the things that we've seen is that tempo slows down dramatically. And so anytime you can get run-out opportunities after stops, you, you kind of have to take it. And when you look at that 2022 National Championship Kansas team, I feel like that was kind of their hallmark, right, was, you know, Bill Self would say we've got four guys that can grab it off the glass and go. And I think when you look at what Furby has done, even though a guy like Elmarco Jackson is, is a better athlete, and I think that Elmarco is, you know, he has a chance to develop into a really valuable role guy on this team off of the bench. I think that Furphy's ability to leak out his feel for it and different things like that—if you can generate a few fast break baskets, you know, just sort of here and there—that's going to be a major value come March as well.
2: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad he touched on Marco Jackson there because on the flip side, you think about El Marco now coming off the bench. You're in Big Twelve play now. The minutes are probably going to be tightening up. How do you think El Marco maybe does carve out a role, or what do you think his role can still be if he's now coming off the bench uh, down the stretch in Big 12 play?
3: You know, one of the things that our recruiting guys sort of swore by with El Marco Jackson was that he was a really high-character guy and was a guy that had a lot of the intangibles and work ethic and things that, that you look for. And I, I think that's important given that there are guys that, you know, if they get demoted or, or they see something as demotion – because let's be real here, if Omarco Jackson plays really well, he can play starter minutes off of the bench. He he might not be in that first 5, but that doesn't mean that he can't play a starter type role on, on this team. And so I think it's important for him to have the right approach. You know, it's important for him to know that hey, when you come in, You know, you need to be the best version of yourself, and you need to to continue to impact games or impact games at an even higher level. And I think, you know, he can continue to be aggressive offensively or get more aggressive offensively. I think he can continue to to improve defensively, especially off the ball. Every once in a while, you see him get caught ball watching. And so I think as he continues to grow, if he does have the right approach with this, Kansas isn't only going to play five guys in the NCAA tournament. And so when you look at what's ahead for El Marco Jackson, if he takes this as an opportunity and he really plugs in, you know, there's, there's a chance that we're talking about him in March as a major key for this team to, to get to where they want to get to.
2: When you look at the guard play for Kansas, including on Marco Jackson, but Dewan Harris was kind of the guy that maybe fairly or unfairly was kind of scrutinized when Kansas, it seemed like the offense wasn't quite clicking as much. Well, he comes back in the game against Oklahoma State, scores double figures again, and also had three steals in the game. Uh, do you feel like maybe he's finally maybe got himself out of that sort of, I guess, slump for lack of a better term that he was maybe in uh, earlier?
3: Well, that was one of the more impactful defensive games, I thought, from him in, in a little while. And, and that's the that's the thing. Everybody wants him to score. And, of course, there's that fantastic stat that, you know, Kansas has only lost once when he scored 10 or more points. And so it's easy for all of us to sit here and, and say, well, come on, DeJuan, score. And, and you know, he's, he's a good shooter from the outside, and that's something that, you know, can provide a, a major part for this team as well. But I think the biggest thing for him is to be really, really strong at what he's really, really strong at. And that means, you know, creating, taking care of the ball for, for his teammates. I think that Johnny Furphy being in the lineup helps space things out a little bit more so that He's not driving into traffic. Maybe that'll help him out, you know, shooting at the rim a little bit as well. But let's be honest, if you're coming into a game in March, it's not necessarily the sort of team where you want DeWan Harris taking 13 shots in a game. I'm not saying that's automatically bad. I'm just saying that I don't know that that's where he's at his best. Where he's at his best is playing a pure point guard type role and being just an absolute Pest of a defender. And I thought that against Oklahoma State, you know, he was getting his hands on a lot of balls. He seemed to tip a lot of stuff. He was being really pesky. You know, Kansas doesn't win a national title without Dewan Harris two years ago. And, and, you know, a lot of people want to point to Remy Martin. And Remy Martin obviously had some really important offensive plays and the different things that he did. But Dewan Harris was was a major cooler against Miami in that game. You know, playing against Cam Mcgusty, it wasn't just hey turn these guys over, generate steals. He had grown into a really impactful you know man on man defender, and you saw that again when Kansas came from behind it and really put it on Baylor last year, where they in the second half they stopped switching stuff and they basically said hey. Go defend this guy. Kansas can be a really elite defensive team this year with guys like DeWan Harris and Kevin McCuller back with some of the other guys that they have there with KJ Adams' switchability. But Dewan Harris hadn't been defending, I don't think, to the level that he had been in previous years. And so I think for me, while the 11 points was nice, well, it was nice seeing him attack the rim a little bit. I think the thing that was most encouraging to me was, was seeing him have that kind of a defensive impact again.
2: Do you think Kansas is guaranteed to have the Big 12 Player of the Year this year, whether it's Hunter Dickinson or Kevin McCuller?
3: Ooh, Guaranteed is a tough way to put it because I think Houston hurts itself a little bit in that, you know, shed doesn't score a ton because he's not asked to score a ton and crier scores a ton because he's asked to score a ton, but doesn't do a whole lot else. So that kind of, that kind of hurts those guys. I think Taman Lipsy is the guy that you have to consider with all of the different things that, that he does. You know, a lot's going to depend on the standings. You know, usually the big 12 player of the year doesn't go to a team that, you know, finishes seventh in the league or, or whatever, I do think that you know, as long as Kansas is in the Big 12 race or winds up winning the Big 12, you know, I, I do think that those are your favorites. I don't think it's a guarantee necessarily, especially if somebody were to hop in and you know, say Houston winds up winning the league by two games with Jamal Shedd playing a really good point guard. Stats or no, it would be really tough to deny him at that point.
2: When you look around the rest of the Big 12 right now, kind of expanding on that it feels like it's been imp- nearly impossible to win on the road for a lot of teams right now in the Big 12. Sure. Even more so maybe than, than even normal, right? Uh, I mean, wh- why do you think that is? And, and I guess, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what, what that what that looks like in the landscape of the Big 12?
3: Yeah, it, you know, home teams are 20-8 and eight so far in the Big 12. You know, out of the 28 games, there have been eight times where the road team has won, and four of those – have come at Oklahoma State and at Texas. And so when you look at that, good teams aren't beating good teams on the road very often in the Big 12 right now. It's something where you've got a lot of really good home courts. Uh, I, I think you've got a lot of really good teams. You know, Bill Self says all the time that the biggest reason that they're so tough to beat at Allen Fieldhouse is they've got really good players. And I think you can say that About a lot of teams across the league. It does add so much value, I think, though, to when you are able to swipe a road win here or there. Even if that's, you know, Oklahoma State, even if that's Texas with the way that Texas is playing right now, those wins are worth their weight in gold because of the unbalanced Big 12 schedule. It's not, you know, it's not one of those things where you're playing everybody twice. And so if you can get a road win here or there, that may determine who winds up winning the league this year because it seems like just about everybody is going to do a really strong job of protecting their home court. I'm not saying that there's going to be five teams or whatever that go undefeated at home this year, but I do think that in order to go on the road and win a game at Houston, you know, at Iowa State, at K-State, at a lot of these places, Baylor's new home court looks amazing. To go and get wins in those places, you know, you're know, you going to have to go in and take that and play a pretty special game in order to do that.
2: Yeah, to that end, I actually had this I had this conversation earlier in the show about the idea of what, what number would it take for wins to win the Big 12 this year. And when you consider the difficulties of, of, of winning on the road in the Big 12, do, do you have a number that you think maybe if you say, okay, if we win this amount of Big 12 games, we're going to get maybe at least a share or even win the Big 12, If you had to put a number on it right now, what do you think that would be?
3: I I don't know that I can because I I really, you know, I'd really love to. And, and, you know, I I think earlier, you know, I I said it when you asked me this question, I I think I said it was fairly high because I'm not sure that, you know, there's a big clumping of of Big 12 teams right now. I'm not sure that many teams are contenders, like real out now contenders. This may be – this may be controversial to, to some people and I, you know, I'm not sure Baylor is a contender this year, even with mm-hmm. their record, with their talent, all of those different things. I just, I see some things that, that make me wonder if Baylor is going to be legitimately in that discussion or whether they're going to be a game or two off, you know, sort of like they were. Uh, a year ago, you know when you had the top three teams were were Kansas Texas and then case State and then wasn't Baylor tied with case State
2: yeah I think so. yeah because Texas was at, at, at
3: like two at like two games back it wouldn't yeah. surprise me to see Baylor um in a similar spot this year and so I'm not sure that the number isn't actually fairly you know higher than we would think like maybe even fourteen and four or something like that. Um, it is interesting when you look at at statistics sites and all those things because it feels like they have, you know, half of the league going 12 and 8 and the other or 12 and 6 or whatever and the other half going 6 and 12. But I am not sure that the the actual team that wins the league won't be won't be doing so at 14 and 4 or at least 13 and 5 at this point.
2: He is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. You can go check out all of his work there, doing great work covering college basketball and more. Kevin, uh, appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much for hopping on the show here today.
3: All right, thanks a lot, Nick.
2: All right, that was Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Be sure to check out his work over at 247 Sports. Thanks to Kevin for coming on the show here. We're going to take a break here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll get to some audio from uh, Kansas women's basketball. Brandon Schneider had a chance to speak uh, after Kansas Women's Basketball's loss to Texas earlier in the week. And then at 4.40, about uh, 15 minutes from now, Kevin, uh, excuse me, Brian Haney is going to join the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. with the Jayhawks will be here in studio to join the show. That's coming up next year. Also going to get to our KU Basketball Heroes and Villains later on in the 5 o'clock hour. All that and more coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 101.7 and 1320. KLWN, depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. He'll be back on Monday. So still enjoying some uh, Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on uh, on KLWN. And as always on Thursdays, we're joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here in studio. Uh, Brian, award-winning voice of the Jayhawks, by the way, Brian. So congratulations on that. Thank you, brother. And... uh, Over the weekend, there was uh, uh, quite a bit of hubbub on Sunday, a little bit especially about uh, Lance Leipold in Kansas with Washington seemingly showing some interest. Ultimately, it seems like Lance is going to be staying at at Kansas and made that decision. And I guess how significant do you think that is for this program that Lance Leipold basically reaffirmed his commitment to this program with with the help of Travis Goff as well?
1: Absolutely huge. And that last line is so key with the help of Travis Goff as well. What an exciting time to have a coach who's not only – building something sustainable and, and taking it to heights that we've only seen maybe once before in program history, but you've got the administration and the academic side lined up with it in and- by academic side, I mean Chancellor Doug Gerard working in concert with Travis Goff to make sure that from a facility standpoint and from a you know financial standpoint, the contracts for both Lance and his coaches, that all of that is ascending at a similar trajectory to where this program is ascending. Because without either of those two key pieces, then you probably don't hang on to Coach Leipold when other programs like that come calling. And I know it's frustrating for KU fans and probably K-State fans too to see Chris Kleiman's name on so many of these coaching search lists. But hey, if you would have told me five years ago that the Kansas coach would be offered the job of the national runner-up a week after the title game, I, <laughs> I would have thought you were nuts, and I and I would have said, "Well, hey, we'll take it because that means we've done something right, yeah. right?" So great to see that uh, that's you know what's going on with KU football right now. But Lance loves this place. Kelly loves this place. His wife, you know, Landon's going to be a senior at free state next year. You call his games. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting it, to watch it, him. Hey, he had a great junior season, by the way. He did, and he's he's putting out his, uh, his you know recruiting yeah, tweets yeah. Ev- every week. <laughs> or so, which is fun to watch because he's such a great young man, yeah. and uh, I kind of look at it this way, obviously there's there's still other opportunities that could lure him away, and obviously Pete Thamel's already been writing about what might happen <laughs> if Jim Harbaugh were to leave Michigan and all that, but you know, if you can get through this offseason armed with a fresh extension that many are talking about, a possibility of, and then you have next season as the potential third straight bowl year, which if that happens next year and the momentum is still trending upward like we expect it to, as we have high hopes for this club to compete for a Big 12 title, possible inclusion in the college football playoff, if all of that happens, while his stock will never have been higher, keep in mind you also have the brand-new stadium the following fall to unveil as well and why would you want to leave at that point if indeed those key parts of administration and and chancellor leadership and all that are still intact so long as those key relationships are all still working in concert together and the stadium comes through as we all expect it to and all that is clearly they're well underway this is a great spot, and I think Lance is so smart, he realizes what a good thing he has here, and yet at the same time, we as Kansas fans and followers should be very appreciative of his loyalty to be here, and uh, not take anything for granted ever, and after what this program went through for the last decade plus, I don't think many Jayhawk fans are going to take much for granted, because you, you certainly know what the opposite of this feels like, yeah. and so let's make sure the poles feel beloved here at KU.
2: Switching over to Kansas basketball, a big win against Oklahoma State earlier in the week, I think... Kind of one of the big things still surrounding Kansas really over the past couple weeks has been that fifth starting spot, right? That question mark at the fifth starting spot. Bill Self decides to make the change to go with with Johnny Furphy. He has a a good game against Oklahoma, but really seems to take it to another level against Oklahoma State. What maybe impressed you the most about him coming into the starting lineup and then quickly having the success that he's had
1: so far? Well, I think right away on Saturday, you saw a couple of the plays versus Oklahoma where his 6'8 height, and he says his wingspan is 6'8 or 6'9, he said it's pretty much equivalent. That length and height right away got KU a couple of extra possessions. And he wasn't afraid to stick his nose in there and, and go for those loose balls, soaring in sometimes, out jumping the competition to pluck it out of the sky. And that's just not something you're going to get with El Marco, who's 6'3 on a good day. And so while. You know, marco brings other things to the table that Johnny might not. I think that right away on Saturday showed me, okay, there's there's one plus in the positive column for Johnny that nobody else is bringing. Secondly, even though it wasn't highly efficient on Saturday, it certainly was Tuesday. But versus Oklahoma, he was only 3 of 8, but he was looking to score. And and he was hunting shots and not afraid to pull the trigger. I felt like the last two games before that with El Marco, 0 for 4 versus TCU, and then didn't attempt a shot, didn't look to score down at UCF. And you kind of sensed he was a little bit in his head. And so the fact that Johnny came in, and not in a reckless way, but in a confident and assertive way, was looking to score – To get any kind of pulse from that fifth guy on the spot makes life so much easier on the other four players on the floor, especially if that fifth guy can stick the three. And when he hits three for three to open the game in Stillwater on Tuesday, that spreads the floor. That makes you so much more dynamic. We've obviously seen in both of the last few games what he can do when he catches the ball in transition, his ability to finish at the rim. So all of these are pluses. But to me, the silver lining in it all is the fact that seemingly – From all accounts, both teammates, coaches, and even brief exchanges that I've had with him, El Marcos seems to have taken this in stride and understands that, hey, this could still be a really good thing for me. He doesn't have the ego that might come with some guys with a McDonald's All-American tag on their name that, hey, wait a minute, I've been starting the last 15 games. You know, this isn't as good he could wind up getting close to the same number of minutes and be just as impactful, maybe more so. Some guys need to see the flow of the game and the way it's going and how defense is being played and all that before they enter and hop in the middle of it, and maybe that helps him a little bit. But maybe it just takes the pressure off and allows him to come in and and let the game come to him as opposed to being afraid of making a mistake when things weren't clicking as a starter. So either way, you got two great young guys that have both accepted the new role, Bill Self, you heard earlier today, I'm sure you've played the clip by now, he says, I feel like we found our fifth starter. And that's music to every Jayhawk fan's ears because you mentioned the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this. I feel like we've been talking about it for the last couple of months. So let's hope that this is something we can settle into. But also keep in mind that the first half on Tuesday is not going to be duplicated or replicated very frequently. I mean, that's that's high watermark stuff. Fifteen and one half. But can Johnny be a guy that hits two threes a game and gets you five or six rebounds, a couple on the offensive end? Absolutely. And if he does that, I think this makes this Kansas team so much more dynamic and puts us right back on that national title trajectory that everybody had us scripted for back in the preseason.
2: Yeah, something that you that you touched on that that I noticed was with Johnny. You mentioned looking to score, right, being aggressive, looking to score. And, you know, the rally situation is whether it's Johnny Furphy or Marco Jackson being that fifth starter, you're not supposed to be the number one option, right? You're not supposed to be the guy that's being that main guy. You've got guys like Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, and even K.J. Adams for situations like that. But as that fifth guy, you still need to be looking to score and being aggressive when those opportunities come and that's what I think what I noticed with Johnny Furphy especially against Oklahoma State
1: no doubt and uh and then be willing to defer when the opportunity isn't there coach self-told the story of after scoring 15 in the first half you know he only took one shot in the second half and there was a moment where he could have taken it but he saw a higher percentage look inside for Hunter Dickinson and very quickly fed the ball to the big fella and they got the easy hoop coach talked about his Vision is better, and sometimes that's because you're a taller player that can kind of see over the defense. But there's a lot of little things like that that come very naturally to him, and we're seeing him settle in more and more. So excited. It's a great time to have your parents making an 18-hour flight to come to town. I don't know if you heard about that, but they're flying in to Washington, D.C. and oh. making it over to the game on Saturday, and then they'll come to Lawrence for their first taste of Allen Fieldhouse on uh on Monday. So if you see his parents in the stands, make sure you say hi. I'm sure they'll get a very warm welcome. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully he keeps it rolling. So, um, very excited about that development, but also equally excited that El Marcos handled it as well as he had, because that's a guy, they still have high, high hopes for not just this season, but going forward. And, uh, I would say this, I've watched other guys not handle it as well as he has, so kudos to that young man. And and kudos to all of his teammates for picking him up and making sure he's feeling the love, even though it's coming in a different fashion. Another guy that's
2: quietly, I think, been kind of starting to figure some things out is is Nick Timberlake. Uh, It seems like he's slowly starting to maybe work his way into into a a role. And he's another guy that I think the first thing I noticed is, outwardly with his body positivity and everything like that, it never really seemed to affect him that maybe he was struggling earlier in the season. But when you think about him coming along and Marco coming along, maybe that you that you start to feel a little bit better about
1: what you can get from from your bench going forward no doubt and uh, it's a little thing but even making the sports center top 10 plays the other night did loads for his confidence and if you missed the story he uh, of course had the big posterizing right hand jam in the first <laughs> half and When we travel on these trips, whether it's busing to the airport or busing all the way back as it was on Tuesday, they have satellite TV in the buses so they can watch other games or they can watch themselves on SportsCenter or whatever. And everybody was gathered around in the back of the bus counting down the top 10, waiting for the Timberlake dunk. And to quote Nick, what he told me yesterday was, he said, honestly, the first five plays weren't that impressive. And I thought, (laughs) surely they're going to put my dunk on there. And everybody was waiting for it. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. They finally get to number 3, and boom, there it was. And, you know, it may not sound like much, but when you got 12 or 15 guys all dogpiling you and patting you <laughs> on the back and hooting and hollering in the back of the bus, so much so that Johnny Furphy was on his interview with David Lawrence on the cell phone, and he couldn't <laughs> hear David's question because everybody was hollering about the, the top 10 spot that Nick uh, Timberlake just got. I think that's so cool because any little positive thing, especially offensively right now, could, could really spark some more comfortable ability out there and, and confidence for him you know, in future games. And so that was a moment that left him smiling and made him feel valued. I thought uh, two games earlier... We saw him diving on the floor for a couple of loose balls in the TCU game, and that's stuff that is not his calling card. He's not known as being some kind of great defender, but he was showing effort and hustle plays that will earn trust and, if anything, respect even more so out of a coaching staff that already respects him a ton for the great attitude he's had throughout the season, regardless of success or not. So Coach Self, if you missed it, make sure you go back and listen. He had a lot of great things to say about Nick's attitude and Nick as a teammate and small victories like that. It may just be one play. Play, one highlight, whatever, those can accumulate enough over time to where a guy really starts to just kind of exhale and, and ease up a bit instead of walking around so tense and nervous about missing five shots in a row. And that, that makes that hoop, that iron, seem a whole lot wider and bigger going forward. When you look at the landscape of the Big
2: 12 right now, uh, it's very tough to win on the road for every team. Uh, road teams in the Big 12 right now are just 8-20 and 20. Kansas, of course, gets a big win against Oklahoma State. A second road game coming up against West Virginia. Just how important do you think it is to get these wins on the road, even if it's against lesser opponents in conference play, to to build that momentum to win – you're trying to pursue that Big 12 title?
1: Well, you got to have them because you look at the February schedule and early March, and suddenly your road trips are to places like Waco and Houston and Lubbock and Norman and Kansas State. And these are all really tough venues. And usually everywhere we go, it's their biggest home game of the year, and they have their biggest crowd, such was the case at UCF. But some of these games will, will be of epic proportion because you'll be talking about first place on the line and that kind of thing. So... Gave one away, obviously, in Orlando, but if you can hold serve here on Saturday, that'd be back to back road wins. And I think the formula to winning it outright is eight and one at home, six and three on the road. We didn't expect one of those three to be at UCF, but that's the reality. So, you know, you can afford to, to drop another couple, but you can't be dropping them to teams here in January that don't measure up to the tests that are coming right around the corner in February. So this is an important one on Saturday. But don't sleep on them either because just last week they beat Texas at home and they're still figuring things out with Coach at the interim coach, and getting some guys eligible and in the mix. And obviously Edwards was a big-time star, the transfer from Syracuse that had the wrist injury. He's been out for the last uh, few weeks, and, and a fluid situation in getting him back. But they're not what they're going to be, and yet they're a lot closer to what they thought their roster would be than this time two months ago. So 6-11 and 11 as their overall record, I think, is super misleading. And uh, in reality, this is a club that if they were fully healthy and everybody had been playing together for a couple of months, is probably right there in the middle of the Big 12 pack.
2: I'm glad you brought up the uh, formula for for winning the Big 12. Actually, talked about that earlier in the show about what number would it take to win the Big 12 in terms of number of wins. And over the last decade, actually, 13 has 13 and five basically has basically guaranteed you either outright or even a share at that point. Yeah. So if you're think, if you're doing the math, like you said, eight and one at home and maybe even five and four on the road might be good enough sure. to to win the Big 12. So. When you look at it from that perspective, again, every road game is still very
1: important. Absolutely. And, and my 14-4 is is a clear outright projection. Yeah. But I think 13-5 certainly gets you a share. But uh, you know, you're going to see the cream rise to the top. You're going to see some teams that right now are tied for first kind of fall into that second tier. And, and that's, you know, with all due respect to programs like... K-State and Texas Tech. I just don't know if it's sustainable for a full 18-game slate, but they've been so impressive in both regards, and huge win for the Cats the other night over Baylor. We were watching it as we were calling the KU game. Greg Gurley had his ESPN Plus <laughs> pulled up on his smartphone. That's and a we little were, broadcaster's trick. Yeah, right? we were watching both, and, and he, was, he was cheering for one team. I was cheering for K-State because I wanted to see the tie at the top of the, the standings, but uh, anyways, I think Grant McCaslin's done a great job at Texas Tech, but then you see them get a, a thump on the head at Houston the other night, A little bit of a reality check there. So um, good tests lie in front of us. And like I said, that February-March schedule is loaded. So try to get to that month with a game or two cushion. And it probably won't be a two-game cushion now that you stubbed your toe in Orlando. But could you have a one-game lead on the field before February 3rd rolls around and your first of two games with Houston? Maybe. And you'll probably be doing good to have that. Because as I said, two with Houston, two with Baylor two with K-State, a return trip to Oklahoma, a lone trip to Lubbock. I mean, this schedule is daunting over the final six weeks.
2: Yeah, when you think about that game on February 3rd against Houston, you follow that up two days later at Kansas State in Manhattan, and then Baylor at home, and then you go to Texas Tech, right? So that four-game stretch
1: could be really defining the race for the Big 12. Really could really could and so you know we don't assume anything between now and then because one of the games between now and then is hilton magic up in ames iowa that's going to be a tough one that's a ranked team so it's not to say that things are light necessarily but they look especially challenging next month so let's really hope the jayhawks can handle their business between now and then
2: he is brian haney voice of the jayhawks brian appreciate your time as always for coming in studio Before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller.
1: Great to see you, my man. Doing a great job filling in for uh, the new daddy, Derek Johnson. So keep up the great work. I've enjoyed listening this week. But yeah, Nate Miller, he's got a game plan for you. He'll help you put together your most profitable and secure financial future. Whether you have a portfolio already or you're just starting up, he'd love to sit down and talk with you. So check him out, MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com, Nate Miller. Always a pleasure, my friend.
2: Thank you. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Keep the disclaimer.
0: Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC.
2: One hour down, two to go here on Rock or two hours down, excuse me, two hours down, one to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Don't forget, coming up at 6 o'clock here on KLWN, we'll have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider. That'll be followed by High School Sports Weekly from 7 to 8 here on KLWN. Let's get to our KU basketball heroes and villains from the Oklahoma State game. That's coming up next, plus audio audio from Johnny Furphy and Hunter Dickinson as well in the 5 o'clock hour. That's next on RCSD. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out today. He'll be back on Monday as uh, we continue to wish him well in uh, – taking care of his newborn baby and getting his family settled. Sounds like everything's going well with him, so glad to hear that. Glad to hear everything uh, went well, and they are safe and sound. So Derek will be back on Monday, so it's been a fun week of Nick Chalk Sports Talk here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. A couple programming notes here for tonight. Coming back to the show at 6 o'clock right here on KLWN, you'll be able to hear more from the Kansas head women's basketball coach, Brandon Schneider for a Hawk Talk here tonight from 6 to 7. While that is going on, we are going to be live at Mama's Tamale Shop at 602 West Ninth Street here in Lawrence for High School Sports Weekly. We're going to be live there at Mama's Tamale Shop from 6 to 7, and we're going to record the show, and it will air here on KLWN from 7 to 8. So you'll still be able to hear High School Sports Weekly later in the evening, but we're, going to, we're still going to be live from 6 to 7, and then we'll just be recording it while... Uh, the Hawk Talk plays here on KLWN, and then you'll be able to hear High School Sports Weekly afterwards uh, from 7 to 8 right here on KLWN. So, tonight we got the Bishop Seabury boys basketball team with us for High School Sports Weekly. Really looking forward to that and meeting some of the outstanding young players that they have on their squad uh, as uh, they'll be at High School Sports Weekly tonight at Mama's Tamale Shop. So, okay, let's get into our KU basketball heroes and villains from the Oklahoma State win for Kansas earlier in the week. It was a dominant performance by the Jayhawks, 90-66, to 66, over Oklahoma State. And Kansas, really, from start to finish, just completely thumped Oklahoma State. It was never really a contest. Kansas got up big. Uh, they, they did kind of let Oklahoma State sort of creep back late in the first half. Bill Self talked about how he wasn't thrilled about that uh, at the end of the first half. I think K was up by 21 or 20. With about five minutes left in the first half, and Oklahoma State was able to get it down to 15. So you're thinking, well, okay. I mean, you know, you let it a little bit, but it was still a 15-point lead point half. half. That obviously is a lot different than what happened against UCF, when Kansas had a 16-point lead and, and did allow uh, UCF to kind of really get back into the game. I think UCF cut the lead down to eight at the half, right? And that really kind of helped spur them in the second half as well uh, against Kansas and that one and the one and their one loss in conference play in Orlando. The Kansas. Really, really impressive win over Oklahoma State, and when you think about the heroes of the game, I think you got to start with Mr. Johnny Furphy himself, the uh, the Australian menace, the Australian nightmare, the uh, Furfinator, the Furfin turf. Uh, You know, we got tons of different nicknames for him. None of them have really stuck, though. I don't know. I mean, listen, Derek. He was not really putting much effort into coming up with nicknames. I was the one that came up with like 90% of them. Now listen, I understand not all of them were great, but you're gonna have some swings and some misses when you're when you're dealing with this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so we're still kind of worked up in that, I guess. But yeah, Johnny Furphy, obviously, probably the, the biggest story of the game for KU. Uh, the freshman getting his second start after he played pretty well against Oklahoma, and he built on that with an excellent, excellent first half against Oklahoma State. 15 points, he was 3 of 3 from 3, finished the game 3 of 4, and also had 7 rebounds in the game, uh, made some nice plays, had a couple blocks that really, really spurred and transition for Kansas in the first half. So uh, overall, a, a very, very impressive game for Johnny Furfier. And, I mean, really an impressive first half. You know, He didn't have to do much in the second half because Kansas had established a big lead, but a first half, an impressive first half for Furphy, and I think Furphy from three specifically is maybe my biggest hero uh, because Kansas only made five threes in the game, and Johnny Furphy had three of them. So if you're gonna, if Kansas is going to continue to be a team that is maybe more of a low volume team from three, uh, Furphy, I think maybe his importance increases a little bit in terms of his ability to shoot the ball from the perimeter for Kansas. So, and also just a hero, all five starters, man. Uh, all five starters in double figures in the game, uh, so they they kind of all get the heroes. I think a little bit, you know. Uh, KJ Adams, sixteen points, hundred tickets and twenty one. Furphy with fifteen, as we discussed. Kevin McCullough with eighteen, and Dewan Harris even out of eleven as well. So, all five starters in double figures. Another good hero. Uh, I think Dewan Harris also kind of deserves a little bit of a nod here. You know, he had really been a guy that was kind of taking the brunt. I think of some criticism for. Some of the difficulties of Kansas's offense a little bit, maybe having some slower games and, and and the losses as well. But in this game, three steals, ze- uh, one turnover, three assists in the game, but eleven points on four of six shooting. Uh, his defense seemed to be maybe at its best that we've seen possibly all season really uh, for Kansas in this game. And he was really really strong in the game. So I think if if you're gonna if you're gonna hound Dewan Harris for some of KU's offensive struggles, I think you need to praise him when he when he does well, and here he had a strong game for KU, uh, which was nice to see. And kind of talked about it yesterday. You know, it's, it's tough for a guy. It's especially tough for a player you're asking to play usually 35-plus minutes a night. And on top of that, Dewan Harris is spending a lot of that time with the ball in his hands. And it can be more exhausting to have the ball in your hands so much uh, than maybe otherwise. So I want to give a shout-out there to, to uh, DeWan Harris as another hero in the game for KU. Uh, in terms of defensive heroes, mentioned Dewan Harris, uh, also Johnny Furphy with a couple of blocks as well. I think he was a good defensive hero. Uh, for Hunter Dickinson, not the, not the same game that he had against Oklahoma in terms of the block numbers, but uh, he was pretty effective as well there. So uh, When you look at the other heroes of the game, I think for KU, their other hero was the ability to eliminate the crowd from the game early and not ever let them get back in it, you know. Oklahoma State kind of talked about it coming into that game. They had, they were already zero three in conference, and it felt like if if they were going to show any signs of life really this season, it was probably going to have to happen in a game like this against Kansas. And it just didn't happen for them. Kansas knocked them out early. The crowd was never in it. Uh, there you could you could count the number of people on this uh, in the stands basically by the time the game was over because uh, the, you know they had no reason to stick around out there uh, for that game as Kansas really dominated Oklahoma State. So I think taking the crowd out of the game was a, a, a hero for Kansas in the game because that really helped them continue to propel themselves forward uh, versus, you know, if, it, if a team gets on a run and you kind of let them get back in. And, I mean, you know, Kansas fans should know as well as anybody what the impact of a, of a strong crowd can be and what the impact of, of a crowd getting into the game can be when you think about what Kansas has at Allen Fieldhouse, obviously. Uh, so the fact that you were able to eliminate the crowd for Oklahoma State pretty much right from the jump, going up 6 nothing. And then uh, ensuring that it stayed that way throughout the rest of the game. So uh, a little bit of a nod there to the ability for Kansas to take the crowd out of the game. Also in the other category, because I mean you can't put this in the offensive category, but other category, Michael Jankovic. How about that, Michael Jankovic hitting a three in the game? Uh, You know he's he's not quite to the level of some of the previous walk-ons that we've seen at KU in terms of the magnitude of them hitting threes late in games. You think of like Chris Tehan, You think of even you know you go back to like uh, the coach's son, Self Manning. Some of those walk ons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, because listen, there there are people that would say that some of the loudest moments in outfield us in the last couple of years have been late in games. Chris Tihan hitting a three. I mean, the place just goes crazy, right? <laughs> so, uh, Jankovic, well, I'll give him his. I'll give him a little nod here for the three point shot that he hit late. Obviously, it was on the road, so it didn't have really a crowd to explode out of it, but. Uh, a little bit of a nod there, a little bit of a nod there to Jankovic. so give a nod there. Uh, in terms of the villains, you know, it's difficult to have a lot of villains in a game where you were up by basically 20 for the whole second half, and it, it was never really close. Uh, Bryce Thompson definitely gets a little bit of villainry here. Uh, he's a guy that uh, I, I, somehow, some way, he always manages to have really good games. Against uh, against Kansas since he's transferred to Oklahoma State and he ended up this he ended up with 20 points for for Oklahoma State in this game three of seven from three 5 of 11 from the floor uh, and he was also he also made seven free throws in the game which was over a third of Oklahoma State's total free throws so he gets a little bit of villainry certainly for his performance and and just the fact that he always seems to be extra tuned up for for, for the game against Kansas for playing for Oklahoma State uh, by the way I wonder why huh uh, but uh, you know who got the last laugh there probably Kansas because. Uh, on the flip side, Kansas fans I think, man, if Bryce Thompson stuck around and stuck through some of the difficult times early in his career, what could he be now uh, on this team particularly for Kansas? So, But, you know, that's that's the nature of college basketball and college athletics right now uh, over the last couple of years is the transfer portal, right? You almost have to anticipate that you potentially could be losing a couple of your players to the portal basically every year, right? Every year that, that could be something that could happen for you. Uh, so Thompson, he gets a little bit of villainry. For this game uh, against uh, against Kansas, for what he did with uh, twenty points, but dude, beyond that, I, I mean, there's just not really a lot of good options for villains. I mean, Garrison, the center, had ten points in the game for Oklahoma State, but it he didn't really do. You know, it wasn't really like I don't really feel like he was a villainy type guy. Eric Daly, the the All American, or not the the uh, uh, McDonald's All American? Yeah, McDonald's All American Daily, I believe, was was the guy that he doesn't really get much villainy out. only nine points for him. I mean, there's just not much to. Not much villainry going on in this game. You know, especially like I said, when you're up so big like Kansas was, not really look good opportunities for villains to reveal themselves, right? And uh, you know, the broadcast, Jay Williams was great along with uh with Boog, so they, those guys were great. No issues with the broadcast. You didn't have Fran Freshilla saying Michaela every single time. Uh so yeah, not a lot of villains. Not a villains in this game. I think Bryce Thompson's the, definitely the clear villain, but you you slayed him easily. I mean, you you know with with the twenty four point win, if you're Kansas. So uh, that's our KU basketball heroes and villains from KU's Oklahoma State win on Tuesday night, ninety to sixty six. Kansas got the win over Oklahoma State. The Jayhawks are back in action on Saturday against West Virginia. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN. A programming note for that game, with the KU women's game being earlier in the day on Saturday with a one o'clock tip. Uh, KU women's, that game will you can hear right here on KLWN. Pre-game coverage will start at 1245 with the women's game tipping off at 1. The men's game is slated to tape, tip off at 3. So we'll have the women's game coverage here on KLWN, and then immediately following the women's game, we will get you straight to the men's game for coverage of that game. If you do want to hear the Crimson and Blue show, all the pre-game coverage that the men's game has ahead of the game, you'll be able to hear that on our sister station 105.9 KISS uh, with their full coverage of the men's game. But we'll get you straight to the men's game here on KLWN right after the uh, women's game concludes here on Saturday afternoon. All right, speaking of KU men's basketball, we're going to hear from Henry Dickinson and Johnny Furphy coming up on the other side. They met with the media post game for Oklahoma State after Johnny Furphy's big game, obviously, and Hunter Dickinson leading all scores with 21 points. Those two guys met with the media uh, earlier after the game against Oklahoma State. We'll get to that coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320, KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST Podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter